on the most basic level of mentoring relationships. And that, you, you can't say, you want me to mentor you? And they say, yes, I'd love for you to mentor. Well, I've got a personal data inventory that I want you to fill out, and then maybe I'll consider if you fill it out within two weeks and get it back to me, then I might consider mentoring you. It doesn't work that way. You understand that, right? But in the back of the uh, MacArthur uh, uh, Wayne Mack Biblical Counseling, there is this personal data inventory, and you can maybe have, and uh, you can ask some of these questions um, that are just to kind of get them talking, and, and you can fill out and help them and address those, okay? It's in the back. It's an appendix. All right, let's go on. Let's move on. I hope you're being encouraged. I, I, I feel like we're, uh, we're getting somewhere. All right, turn with me over to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Most of you know the story of Hannah, right? Longing for a child. Uh, I, can, I can honestly say that the first six years of our marriage, uh, we definitely... Uh, read this story and thought through this story and commiserated with this. We uh, had a, a period of time before we could get before Brenda could get pregnant and and we struggled with this and we could really relate with Hannah in this in this situation. Um, and boy, uh, I think I was very close to uh, <laughs> being like the unwise husband of Hannah that said, aren't I enough? Uh, stupid, stupid counsel from Pastor Mike to my wife. I remember even thinking how dumb I was and had to beg her forgiveness and beg God's forgiveness for not being compassionate. But it all comes down to wrong interpretation of data, right? But it, poor Hannah got blindsided twice, didn't she? Look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 12 to 18. Somebody read that for us, 12 to 18. No, oh, 12, yeah, yeah, 1, 12 to 18. Oh, 1, okay, I was right, okay. Now it came about, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah... She was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought that she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, how long will you, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. And, but Hannah replied, no, my Lord, I'm a woman oppressed in, in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman. For I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. She said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Mm. This is a case of wrong interpretation of data. Right? The data was saying what? She's drunk. But he needed to talk to her. He needed to dig in and find out what's going on. 
once she did, she was very open and transparent and poured out her heart and said, this is where I'm struggling. And he made a right interpretation then and said, and gave her right counsel which, and, and encouraged her, may God bring what you ask, right? All right, so this is a case of what? Biblical counseling gone awry, and yet he made it right because he owned it, right? All right, so we have to be very, very, very careful of taking in all the, imp all the information, gathering information, and making a proper assessment of what's the real problem. Again, everything starts in the heart, beloved. All the deflections out there, we're trying to wade through them, get down to the heart. What's the heart issue? And how can we help them and give them hope? Look over at Luke chapter 10. Here's another one. Luke chapter 10. This is how I want to be. Now, granted, uh, Jesus has the ability to speak right to something in a way that only he could. He, after all, is the God-man savior of the world. But Matthew, or Luke rather, Luke chapter 10, verse 38 Luke 10, 38. Y'all all know the story. Let's, I'll read it for you. Here we go. Luke 10, 38. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, this is a case of immediate interpretation that was accurate. Why? because he's Jesus. <laughs> Just be careful. Be very, very careful. We know that it was inaccurate because the commentator Luke says that she was distracted by all the preparation. He interpreted it properly that the distractions were getting her. She needed Jesus. She needed to put her focus on Christ. And he interpreted the circumstance correctly. So who do we need in order to interpret correctly? Christ. Which would mean what? Pray. <laughs> you need him. You're going to need his discernment. You're going to need his wisdom. He will work through you. We talked about the spirit. So what is the heart issue? Again, we must take data and prayerfully compare it with what's going on with the standard of God's word. In other words, compare what they're saying to what God's word says. C, is what they're saying line up with what scripture Compare the person's behavioral responses with what Scripture says. In other words, if, uh, if they're getting angry and lashing out, then obviously that the Bible says not to respond that way. Then you know that the Bible says not to do that. Then why are they getting angry? What is the reason behind getting angry? That's what you're shooting for is to find that. The interpretation comes after you've heard them own it or give it or give the information. Compare the person's thoughts and attitudes and interpretation to the Bible. Compare a person's desires, their values, their expectations um, to the Bible. Does, and, and compare uh, uh, their motivations. Why do you do what you do? It's a question I often ask. 
Why did you do that? What was your reason for doing that? And then let them talk. And they'll tell you. Then you're able to evaluate whether or not that lines up with Scripture. Are they supposed to have that kind of motivation? Are they supposed to be doing things that way? And then you can then address it and interpret it whether it's a problem or not. Does everybody understand where we're at on this? Questions? Okay. Take data and look for themes and patterns. Themes and patterns. In other words, I got angry at my kids for doing this. I got angry at my wife for doing this. I got angry at my boss for doing this. I got angry at my, my co-worker for doing this. Okay. You get angry. <laughs> you got a problem with anger. Smoke screen, smoke screen, smoke screen. Though, why? Why are you getting angry? Why are you getting angry? Well, here it was because of that. And it was because of that. No. Are you sure it's because of that? Because the fact of the matter is, is that it appears that no matter what anybody does, you're going to get angry. Doesn't matter who it is, you're getting angry. Is it a possibility that there's a heart problem in you, not on them? Why do we get angry? What's the purpose? Well, the reason for it is pride or a lack of trust in God, right? Anxiety, worry. I worry about my husband doing this. I worry about my husband doing that. I worry about my kids doing this. I worry that they're going to become this. I worry about my boss and how he thinks here. You've got a problem with worry. Yes, but what's the reason you're worrying? You're wanting to look for that heart issue. The reason. Does everybody understand this? Do you have any questions about this? Oh, I'm stuck. Oh, thanks. There we go. Interpret. Luke. Got it. Sorry. There you go. All right. Take data. Are there typical behavioral responses in certain circumstances? In other words, here, let's give another one. Uh, that would be typical. Um, I found out that I have cancer. I, that's not, I'm giving a hypothetical. Okay? Uh, and I cried a lot. Okay? Yes. I understand. I would cry too. Those are typical. Those are normal. You find out that you're going to suffer with cancer? That's normal. I understand. I'm hurting. I get it. Those are normal things that the Bible says. And then what you do is you point them to Scripture that talks about the psalmist crying out to the Lord, saying, yes, there is pain. In other words, don't be like Job's, Job's friends, right? That interpreted, you got cancer. I know why you got cancer. It's because of your bad lifestyle. You've been a wicked person. So God spanked you with cancer. Be very careful of making those kind of interpretations. Very, very careful. Better take some time and, and back up a little bit. And uh, Okay? I think all too often we uh, interpret suffering as the hand of God disciplining us way too fast. I think we need to be very slow to make that interpretation. Okay? All right. Make sure you gather plenty of information and that you're awfully compassionate. 
are there uh, typical expectations and desires and longings? Expectations, I, I used to say this in a marriage, you should have no expectations. The only reason why I said that is, is because in our culture, in our society, we have a tendency to have way too many expectations. So it's almost an exaggeration, okay? You should expect your husband not to beat you. That's an expectation that's legitimate. Do you understand? You should expect certain things. At the same time, you have to be very careful to have expectations that are above what you're supposed to, right? What is biblical. So you're asking these questions and then you make a, a, a determination. Take data and put it in the witness stand. In other words, once you get all the information you get from them and you, you see everything and you've got it, then what you need to do is ask questions in your mind or on paper or whatever towards those data. Could it be this? Could it be that? Could it be this? You're not asking the people necessarily. You're evaluating to see, to make sure that you don't wrong, make a wrong interpretation. Okay? Be slow. Be slow to interpretation. And again, it doesn't always work because I had somebody come up to me here even and I had to make an interpretation really quick. I hope it's right. I hope it's right. The point is is that we have to be very, very careful with that and make sure that we evaluate. Begin formulating interpretations of nature and causes of a person's promise, uh, problems, their heart issues. Um, use scripture to identify the different problems. In other words, does the Bible speak to a specific issue? And if it does, then you, okay, that very well could be a possibility. Second, use your experience. And I say that with a big, gigantic caution. Okay? Because not every case is the same. You understand? But, I will tell you this. Disciples become better at making disciples because of experience. Right? When we blow it and blow it and get back up and blow it and get back up and blow it and get back up, after a while we start figuring out, oh, <laughs> this is the way it should be. So you, you can draw from experience, just need to be very, very careful. Yes, sir. Wendell. Just ask and I'll, I'll repeat it. Liberty issues? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. How do I handle liberty issues? Okay, um, this is this is and this is a, a a difficult issue. A lot of the young people come up to me and say, uh, "Is it all right if I do such and such, or is it, is it all right if I do such and such?" Well, I'll give you an example. Is it all right if I go out and? and have a couple beers on Friday night. Okay, that, that might be a question that's asked to me. Um, and that's a liberty issue. My, my response to them is usually to ask a question back. Why? Why do you want to do that? Because it's, it's, a, it's fun. Okay. Is it the only reason? You only want to do it because it's fun? No, it's, it's like an escape for me. 
there's an escape for you. What do you mean escaping from what? Well, it, you know, it kind of lightens me up and I'm able to not worry about anything in the world and I kind of just kick back and it doesn't matter at all. And, you know, even the feeling a little bit kind of takes away the sting of the world. Okay. Now we're starting to deal with the... It's not a liberty issue anymore, is it? That's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Are we abiding in Christ? Is Christ as good as the, uh, the beer on Friday night? Is he? That's a good question to follow up, isn't it? I'm not talking about a person that... The liberty issue was, is it, I'm out with my wife alone and I have a glass of wine. Is that okay? Why do you have the wife? Because we like to taste of it and it doesn't really affect us any, but we just like it and it's me and my wife together. We don't make a big deal then that's a different issue, isn't it, than the guy that's over here saying, I need an escape from the world? Again, liberty issues, ultimately, it comes down to motivation. What's going on in your heart? Did I answer it well enough for you? Okay. Why do we do what we do? All right, so, and then use experience from other people, too, as you've dealt with. And like I said, I learned from my failures as time's gone along. Um, again, I, uh, I want to bring this up one more time. When you're, when you're talking to two people, a husband and a wife at the same time, just want to lay this out here for everybody to get, and you're trying to encourage them, deal with the wife's sin with the wife and deal with the man's sin with the man. It's very, not that you don't ever cross and get on their side, but you have to be very careful of picking a side in one of those issues. Okay? Because if you have somebody that's very expressive, they're telling everything. The other guy is not saying much. You have to be careful of jumping on the one that's expressive and on their side and saying, it's this guy. Do you understand? There's usually enough sin going around in both parties. Does everybody understand this? So be very careful to address the one, both of them equally. All right, and their responsibility, because that's all they can really do anyway. All right, instruction, instruction, instruction. Apply the scriptures to the heart. That is, you should give hope for those that are hurting. Help the faint-hearted, right? Give them hope. Lots of scriptures that are revealed. Psalm 42 and it comes to mind in 46. Explain uh, repentance. This is a huge one. I, I can't stress this enough. Is all too often, I don't think people uh, really know what repentance is. I can't. A lot of people will talk. I even had somebody come up to me afterwards yesterday and talking about, well, does repentance mean you never do it again? No, that's not what repentance is. Because if that's so, everybody would stop pride, and we'd never have pride again. Correct? Is that a besetting sin in all of our lives? Yeah. How often do you repent of, of pride? Yeah. Okay, so repentance doesn't mean that you never do it again. It means what? Your heart has changed toward, about that sin at that time. You turn to Him, confessing that sin and asking Him and committing by His grace to not do it. 
That's repentance in a, in a short form. But you need to talk to people about this. Talk to them because often repentance is just, for people, is a form of penance. They think, oh, if I feel bad enough about this sin, then, then it's okay. But they never really turn to God. They never really own it. They never really turn from the sin. And so they're just making excuses or trying to make themselves look better. So digging in and knowing whether or not they know what repentance is and dealing with that is a super important issue. Okay? Yes, ma'am. The difference between truly repenting and still doing the sin, even though like your heart is changed, but yet you still sin, and um, making a practice of sin, like in First John. Yeah, and I, I, I would again, the practice of sin is talking about in bondage in that spot that you can't get out of it. That the one that's born again does not practice sin. Does not mean that they never sin it means that they aren't in bondage to sin anymore. That it, it, they can't, they can never repent. They're never able to turn to God and confess that sin. Okay? But the believer is able to turn from sin. Repentance doesn't always mean that you stop that. And again, I'm, I'm walking a tightrope here. It doesn't mean that you stop that sin perfectly your entire life from then on doesn't mean that let me give you an example let's talk for just I got to be careful but uh, let's talk about pornography and lust okay for a, a minute when does a person sin with that issue well it, it's they're sinning when they're doing pornography but they started sinning way before when they looked at the pornography they were sinning way back when they had a thought in their mind about going to look at it. Or they saw a girl walk by and they began thinking on it, on that girl. And they, at that point's when they sinned. Okay? So ultimately what we're trying to do is get people to repent earlier. Turn from this sin and turn to Christ earlier. Not when they're down in the muck doing all the yuck. That actually rhymed. Okay, so not here, but here. So what we do is, as, as time goes along and we're counseling people, we're teaching people what repentance looks like. It's turning to Christ when you recognize the sin in your heart. Do you understand? So what we're doing is we're trying to get them to step back, 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 back to here so that they're repenting earlier. They're turning to Christ earlier. And what that does is that keeps them from going all the way down into the muck. Okay? I don't know if I got sidetracked, but did I answer your question? Okay. So, yeah. I, I was just thinking uh, James 1. Yeah, temptation. Starting at temptation. And I believe you would agree there will be things we take to the grave that we're struggling with for the rest of our lives. Absolutely. Yeah. You know where, uh, you know where uh, sexual promiscuity is the most rampant? You, you, 
in in uh, rest homes, in what do you call it? Nursing, Nursing homes. You would not believe the stuff that goes on in nursing homes. You would not believe it. I read an article. This it blew my mind. How much sexual abuse that nurses and people that work there go through to a degree by these people that are constantly tapping them and saying rude things to them because these people have gone their whole life with no, and by the time they get there, they're just letting it loose. And they've never learned how to control their thoughts. By the time they get there, it's bad. There is rampant people sleeping with each other. If they can get out of the bed and get there, they will do it. I know, y'all are thinking I'm nuts, but they do this and they ask for drugs to help them to accomplish it. Beloved, it is so very, very important that we learn how to repent real early in the process, how to turn from sin, and that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to teach people how to do that, right? All right, any other questions on that? All right, so we're teaching repentance. Uh, we're not overwhelming the counselee. In other words, if you see that they have more than one heart issue, well, maybe you don't deal with all of them the first day. <laughs> Take some time and deal with them as time goes along and, and help them. Uh, apply the gospel to the problem. I cannot stress this enough. Uh, all, time, uh, all too often what we do is make it, and this is one of the things I do have a little bit of the biblical counseling model that I saw when I was in seminary that kind of, eh, that when CCEF came with a, uh, a, a renewed emphasis on the gospel, put on and put off was something that was, it's a true biblical principle. Put off the old sin, put on a new, a new righteous living. Put off doing that bad thing and replace it with something good. That's the truth. But motive behind it is one of the crucial elements, and that is the way that you motivate them to put on and put off is the gospel. That who Christ is and what Christ has done, elevating the indicatives of chapters 1 through 3 in Ephesians so that they will do the imperatives of chapter 4 through 6, put on, put off, is very important. So in other words, you have to go back and make sure that you bring the gospel to bear on the circumstance. Okay, I'm, I'm going to cut to the chase and do one real quick, but I'll give you an example. With the issue of lust... You understand that lust started back here. The lust, well, here's bringing the gospel to bear. Do you understand that when you look at that stuff, you are basically saying you are rejoicing in their death and going to hell. You're rejoicing in watching people go to hell. You're saying, yay, I agree. Send them to hell. Because the gospel says that we're all dead in sin and that no adulterer or homosexual or any of these things will inherit the kingdom of heaven. So you're rejoicing in that truth. You need to repent that you're rejoicing in that truth. And you need to understand that you too are participating to a degree in that. And that, that's why Jesus came to die. He died to deliver people from that sin. And when he died, he paid for what? Your lust. And every time you lust and go down that road, you're saying, I want Christ dead. I want the Father to judge him. 
Why? Because lust is sin. And that's what Christ died for. Does everybody understand this? So I'm trying to bring the gospel into and explain who Christ is in light of their sin. Yes? Questions? All right. Apply theology. Theology, theology, as I've said numerous times. Cannot stress this enough. Some biblical counselors will do this. They will spend six, they'll have a ten-week process. They'll spend six weeks doing just theology, where all they do is talk about Scripture, why it's authoritative, then they go to God, who He is, what He's about, all of His attributes, then they go to Christ, then they go to salvation, they talk about uh, uh, who, who man is, and they do that. Why do you think they do that? Why would a Christian biblical counselor spend six weeks talking about theology? Right. It's the same concept, and that is, if you have a right view of God, then you will, do, you will respond with the proper obedience. Now, here's one of the things I would caution to that. I think a lot of us know theology. I think our problem is, is that we don't apply theology. We don't apply theology to our specific heart problem. Do you understand? I have seen people over my ministry that could, could talk theology with me amazing ways. I mean, wow. Let them write a book on theology. It's amazing. Even Christian counselors that had amazing counseling ability or amazing theology. But then when their, their life hit a spot, they weren't necessarily able to apply that same theology to their own heart. That's a scary thought. Do you understand? You can know truth, theology, but if you're not applying that on a daily basis, who God is to your circumstances, then there is a major problem, a disconnect. Does everybody understand? If you have that besetting sin, you, and it's the one that nobody knows about but you and God, how does theology apply to that spot? What does God's, who is God in light of that? Who are you in light of that? Those are the things that we need to really work to apply. Yes or no? Good? Applied theology, yes. Call for dependence, lots of prayer, seeking the Lord. He's the only one that's ultimately going to be able to deliver us. Um, and this is one, of, one that I tell people all the time. They say, I don't love so-and-so. I don't love so-and-so. That sounds like a heart problem. That sounds like something God can change because the fruit of the Spirit is love. So it looks like you need to pray for the Spirit to what? Help you love. You need to ask God to help you love even those that you don't love. Right? Prayer, dependence. Help them be aware of their self. Make sure you're 
open and honest and allow them to see who they are. Speak the truth in love, as we've said, and the Bible says over and over, and trust the Lord to help them. Two mistakes again, all instruction or no instruction. All instruction or no instruction. All instruction is the person that always wants to talk all the way through it. That's the counselor that is always talking. That's not a good one. Or the no instruction. There, those people don't help either. The no instruction people are this. They sit down and they say, go for it, tell me. And they learn how to ask all kinds of questions. They say, thank you, that was great. Were you encouraged? Yeah, I just got to unload all of that. Great. And they walk out the door. What did that do? Nothing. Nothing. Helped them none. I, there's a lot of people that do that. And you know, and, and I want you to listen, and I'm going to say this as kindly as I possibly can. You know what those people probably are? People pleasers. You know why they're people pleasers? Because they don't want to ever confront anybody. Ouch. And the fact is, if they're getting paid for it, it's a good way to keep getting paid. Do you understand? If you have somebody that's a great listener, and you go to them all the time, and they always tell you, right, let you talk, you just feel so at peace with them, I'm just going to give you a little warning. They might not be your best friend. They might not be loving you really how much you think they are. Do you understand what I'm getting at? They also might not be the greatest if all they do is let you talk either. Because, oh, it's easy. Just turn him on. Let him talk. Turn him off. Great. Got it. That's not counseling either. Interaction. Dealing with hard issues. Being vulnerable. Being transparent. Confronting sin. Confessing sin. Bearing each other's burdens. All of it. All of it. Questions? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Boy, I opened up Pandora's box with that, right? We're almost done, too. Uh, question on... Um, so, when you were talking about uh, besetting sins and yeah. stuff that between you and God, I have a friend. Um, he's having problems with him and his spouse. And there are kind of two thoughts on this. One thought is you share every single detail with your spouse, mm -hmm. all your sins. Mm. And then the other thought is... Some things can hurt if you share too much because our mm -hmm. minds are garbage heaps, right? Yeah. So where's that line? Where's that line, yeah. That's a good question. I think, it, 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 um, I think it's a case-by-case -case scenario, to be perfectly honest. I can't really, I can't give you a beautiful in-the-box kind of answer. Uh, like I said, I, uh, I had somebody a while back call me and said, uh, I just want to uh, apologize because I've, I've had evil thoughts towards, towards you. I'm like, okay, well, I didn't know that. Uh, it, it would be okay if you just talked to the Lord and I love you and that's okay. And I accept it and it, it, I appreciate the person trying to be transparent, but, but really it's between him and the Lord and that one, you know, 
Because I don't know about you guys. Do I need to confess it every time I have a bad thought towards you? Because I think it wouldn't help you. It's not going to help you or anything like that. that. That was a sin in my heart that I needed to check. So even with a spouse, I don't tell my wife every time I, you know, struggle with every little thing. She probably doesn't want that. Do you want, do you want that? I'm asking. We are transparent. We are. And, and I can also, I can be transparent enough to say, hey, I'm struggling. I love you. And that can be enough. She's good, isn't she? Praise the Lord. The Spirit's working. Yeah. Yeah. So asking, is it helpful or hurtful? And uh, it, it's funny because then I would say that to them, and then I would think, oh, do I do that? Is that what I say? Amen. So maybe that's an easy way to remember. Amen. And there is a balance to, to these things. Yeah, absolutely. Transparency is great as long as it's for the right motive too. If you're transparent just trying to get affection, that's not good either, is it? I'm the, it, it, it is definitely a war, a balance of how much do I tell and how much I don't. And, and again, who's the one that we really should go to first? And it's all about his, our relationship with him. If we're abiding with him, he'll give us those kind of discernments. To, he'll give us the wisdom to be able to, to say what we should. Yeah. Yeah, um, how do you deal with the the don't judge me yeah. mentality? You sure. know, uh, I, for example, I have a, I, I work with a guy who claims to be a believer. Yeah. And he's told me that, you know, if, if you try to approach him about something he's done, he sure. remember things. He remember the things that you've done. So in other words, bro, you, you can't come at me because I got a whole list of <laughs> you know things that you've done. So you know how do you how do you deal with those people? You know because he claims to be a believer. How do you deal with and you know I want I want to challenge him and I want to you know approach him about these things. But I'm like okay you know I'm not I mean I'm not perfect either. So that's it's 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 that you know it's kind of keeping me from from dealing with certain certain um, issues that that sure. he's he's. Uh, that that's a great question, Wendell. Let me kind of give you a, a, a summarized answer. Uh, Again, do you remember the little plus signs that I had at church is one of the main things? Um, I, I think one of our biggest problems is, is that most of you guys are dealing with, you're, dealing, you're talking to me about things outside the church. You're talking often about work relationships, people outside the church. Well, do you understand that most likely they're not plugged into a church that's doing all the other things? So what you're trying to do is, is you're trying to take, I was talking to one of our sisters last night who mentioned this, trying to deal with an issue with a family member or something, but yet their church isn't helping and she really shouldn't even be the one talking or she's not the main person. Somebody in her church should be dealing with that stuff. They should have involvement with the church. So a guy like that, Wendell, I'm, I, my goal would probably be to exalt Christ with that guy as much as I possibly can and not even necessarily go down the road of all these little, the, all these things. I, I would talk to, about Christ a lot. And invite him to church. 
Because the fact of the matter is, is he needs a church that's going to have a preacher preaching the truth, teachers teaching the truth, a mentor above him, a mentor below him. And do you understand? You've got to have all that in order to really be able to address a lot of these problems. So, again, y'all are all... I love that you want to help people. <laughs> but ultimately, they need to kind of plug into a church, get the gospel before they can really get all that. If there's no church discipline, by the way, it, you, you're never going to get to that last step. You're never going to get to the step that really calls them to evaluate their heart and get restored to God. If they're a major issue. Do you understand? All right. Yes, sir. Uh-oh. How do you know where you're... How do you know when you're dealing with someone who is not born again? Yeah. How do you, how, what's your assessment, or how do you uh, interpret that? Again, I, I, I look for the First John passage, uh, the First John test. Uh, are they owning their sin? Are they confessing their sin? Are they uh, seeking? Are they loving the brethren? Are they, you know, are they serving? Are they uh, seeking counsel? Are they seeking to obey? At least do they have a desire to obey? Uh, you know, all of those things in First John I'm looking for. And, and that's where I kind of go with them. I, I know that a person can be dead and be in church. I got that. But I think there's other evidences in their life that will be very evident. For example, you can, if you're in church, if a person's in church and you never hear them confess any sin, they're always the right person in the church. That's correcting everybody else. That could be a big red flag. Or that person that's always bragging on themselves, a diatrophies that thinks, I keep this church alive. If it wasn't for me, this church would die. That's definitely a warning. That's not a sacrificial, humble person. Okay? So, I do think people can be, there's tears in the church. I know that. But I, I give people, I think, I, I try to do what the Apostle Paul does in 1 Corinthians. It appears that he assumes the best for them all, even though they had some pretty bad stuff. Considers them brothers. And yet they were pretty rough. Yet at the same time calling them to evaluate themselves. Okay, good, great. Inducement is uh, uh, ultimately seeking to motivate the counselor or counselee to make biblical changes. How do we motivate people? Well, ultimately motivation comes from God, but that doesn't mean that we sit on our hands and do nothing. What motivates a person to obey? Back to our answer. Theology. A right view of God motivates people. So what do I do? We exalt Christ. We talk about the gospel. We talk about the theology. We talk about truths about who God is so that they will then be motivated. How did Paul motivate the Ephesians? He spent three chapters telling them who God is and who they are so that when he got to chapters 4 through 6, he could tell them what to do, and they would do what? 
they would obey. That's what we need to do. Motivation comes through teaching theology, proclaiming theology, not just in a rote manner. Why is it DD? I don't know. Uh, it's DE. Not just in a rote manner, but in a, in a way that's uh, 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 systematic, explained, and applied, helping them to see how that applies and affects their lives. And then church discipline is an element. Let's look over there at that real quick. I think it is important. What's the purpose of church discipline? Restoration. Restoration. When does church discipline start? Uh, no, it actually started when you talked to him privately. It already started. Did you know that? Look at it. Look at it. Matthew eighteen fifteen. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. That was the start of church discipline. That's the first step of church discipline is what? If they sin, go to them. Talk to them. Encourage them. In private, well, as to what? Not embarrass them. Give them every opportunity to get things right. Right? But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. Okay, so now you're going to get two people involved to help this person, restore this person, so that they'll listen and obey. Okay? Now, I know this is, we're just boiling this really down. But do you understand that any time we confront somebody, we've started the discipline process? It's a wild thought. Your pastor is under church discipline every week. His wife tells him what he needs to do right. <laughs> I mean, we all are confronting each other all the time. It's whether or not we're repenting or not. <laughs> whether we're turning to God. Does this make sense? That's why this, that's why this discipleship thing is an ongoing thing. We're all doing it. We're all in it. There's an element of accountability that's good, isn't it? Accountability is good. All right. And so we do that. And it's a process that God uses to help us to look up and look to Him. He uses us to help them Look towards him. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Tell it to everybody. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile, a tax collector. And then he goes on and explains, and he has the, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in their midst. The idea is, is that God's in that when we follow through and do this whole thing in order to get them to restore. What's his point of saying a Gentile and a tax collector? That they're lost. And therefore, what should we do? Still share the gospel with them. You're still sharing the gospel with them. I don't think, I don't think at, at this point it, it means cut off all relationship with them. I don't. I, I don't ever see that. I, I know that there is the passage that says, knock off the dust of your feet. You know, when you leave the city and if they reject. But again, I think context helps a lot in that. The kingdom was being offered. Jesus was being offered to the Jews at that point. He went into a city. It was a quick thing. 
I don't think God wants us knocking off the dust every time a city rejects us. Okay, so I think we need to be careful of this. Apply it the proper way. All right? So I still think we should be sharing the gospel with these people even after they've gone through it because the, the old, whole idea is this restoration. Man, I could say a thousand more things, but we're at the end. So I'll let you ask a couple questions, but then we're done. We'll have to do it again. Maybe I can spend a little bit more time on motivation and uh, last step. Yes? Up there you've got a book on quick reference. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Any yeah. thoughts or anything you can share from us? I mean, it's sometimes yeah. hard to yeah. know where to draw. The, the sure, yeah. sure. I think this book as a whole um, has some good things. You know how the stage that I told you that you need to interpret and then evaluate whether it lines up with Scripture? This is a good book that you're at your house with. And you say, okay, well, they got this problem. Let me see if this problem lines up with Scripture, and this will give you some ideas of maybe some scriptures that confirm or or deny that issue. Um, again, I don't I don't use this book necessarily while I'm talking to somebody, because also oh, you you're gonna look up. Uh, do you understand? Uh, it's more after, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's more than that. I think it's more of a confirmation to get your heart evaluated, and then you're gonna study the subject. You're gonna study how to help them with their heart issue. And give them more than one scripture. Yeah. People want to know the name of that book. They're wondering. It's called Quick Scripture Reference for Counseling. Quick Scripture Reference for Counseling by John Cruz. K R U I S. Okay. That's just uh, basically like a, uh, what do you call it? It's like accordance, but it, it gives you a little bit more detail on. A, a specific sin and, and some of the things. Okay, it's good. Any other questions? All right. I guess that's it. Thank you. Were you encouraged, beloved? Okay. All right, let's go. Serve our King here. Oh, yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, we're doing an outreach at Jimmy. Yeah, are they doing it at Bob's neighbor or yours? We're going to talk about it at mine. Okay. Okay. So get Jimmy's number or Mark's number, and they're going out this afternoon at what time? Right after this. We're going to lunch, and then we're going. Okay, great. So they're going evangelizing one of the neighborhoods. So uh, y'all, let's pray for them, and if you're interested, jump on board with them. Um, and pray for tomorrow. Obviously, a big day tomorrow. We're going to have... Uh, bunch of visitors, new people coming, so we want to treat them respectfully. Uh, thankful for the chairs, right? Aren't these comfortable? Uh, and I think they give us a lot more room, too. There's 192 chairs in the building now, or in this room, whereas we only had 170 before. So that's an amazing thing, how much those little arms make a difference. Uh, you like those arms, but they really were taking up space. I'm sorry, everybody's like, oh man, I lost my arms. <laughs> but, all right, we're very thankful, y'all pray. No, I did not get any news on the appraisal, so we're just waiting. And we're trusting the Lord on all of that, knowing that God is sovereign over all things. Uh, Brenda and I, I told you that, didn't I, or no? Brenda and I, did I, was it this week that we went and saw it? Oh, 
Brenda and I went and saw the parsonage, though. The pastor did show us the parsonage, and it was very, very nice. And it will fit, and it will work. It's workable. So let's see what the Lord does on that. The, the pastor was very kind. His wife made us cake, and we had coffee and sat down and talked. And so it was, it was definitely relationship-wise, they're very kind. And we don't necessarily agree with all of their doctrine, but uh, he's a gracious man. So at bare minimum, we had a good talk. Okay? Let's pray. Fine. Yep. Time change tonight. Yeah. It's the fallback tonight, so you actually... If you come at the normal time without changing your clock, you'll be an hour early. You'll make it to Sunday school. So, yeah. This is one of those that we don't really announce it in the young church. This is the one time of the year we get everybody here on time. <laughs> no, spring forward's a whole nother thing. <laughs> we announce that for four weeks in a row. <laughs> <laughs> let's pray father you are gracious and kind to us you love us and you are so patient and kind with us we thank you for the holy spirit that is the counselor the one who is able to talk to our souls through the word of god and direct us and guide us and we are so thankful, Father, that he who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, and you will do that. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to participate in the gospel and participate in making disciples. Help us, Lord, to proclaim you and to seek you with all of our hearts. We pray all of this in the matchless name, and also we pray, Lord, for those that are going out and evangelizing. We pray for fruit. We pray for opportunity. We pray for tomorrow. We pray that you will help us to be uh, a kind and, and gracious church and to love our neighbors. And we pray, Lord, for this church situation. We pray that you will help it to move forward with your protection and with your wisdom. Help us, Lord, to honor you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.